Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Army Hammer on his critically acclaimed new film, Call Me By Your Name, that time he almost played Batman, and why he's not looking to play a superhero anymore. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh. This is Sammy. I'm Army. No, you're not. You're not nine feet tall yeah. and a Ken doll. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> a girl can dream. Yeah. Um, yes, the, the, the guest this week is the great Army Hammer, having... Um, having a real moment thanks to his fantastic performance in uh as i said it's a critically acclaimed film it's called call me by your name uh if you check out like the reviews uh on this one you will find that virtually 100 percent of the folks that have seen it have fallen in love with it and uh i totally agree um i've seen it twice it's a it's a beautiful piece of work it's directed by this uh, italian filmmaker by the name of luca guadagnino Mm. um who uh, did um i am love and a bigger splash and this one I believe it's based on on a novel. Mm-hmm. It stars Army and a young actor by the name of Timothy Chalamet. Well, you were around when we when yeah. we chatted with both of them in Toronto. In Toronto, right? They were great together. They were so wonderful. So this is like a, it's a it's a very like well done, delicate kind of coming of age love story. Uh, it's a summer in Italy. Um, it has its own kind of very like specific pace and tone, um, and it's just a lush beautiful film that like makes you you know it takes it transports you to another time and place it takes place in the 80s and and both timothy and army are fantastic in it as is by the way michael stuhlbarg uh who plays timothy's father in the film uh this is going to be another major awards player perhaps for army perhaps for timothy perhaps for for uh, michael it's an embarrassment of riches so um very excited to talk to army about this very very special film and uh, we're all army hammer fans yeah here, right? i was gonna say how were how were things with army so here's the thing i had said to sammy uh, maybe going into toronto or coming out of toronto mm-hmm. like for whatever i've talked to army a bunch over the years like uh, you know for social network i was on the set with him for mirror mirror and like, uh-huh. and like mm-hmm. random things i just feel like we never vibed i feel like he didn't like me you were yeah you felt like you you know you were giving and he was taking i I just felt like he just didn't appreciate the the horowitz wit well that every time you talk to him you show him fan art of (laughs) him dressed as superheroes that he doesn't want to play i did do that in toronto and he probably didn't he was perfectly nice about it but he i clearly didn't love that but um but to say i i for the record i disagreed i thought you guys had great chemistry i thought he was happy to see you okay and but you were really insecure about it i was insecure and i will say he was fantastic. Maybe he was, uh, uh, maybe this was all in my head or what, but, uh, we, we had a, a fantastic conversation. He, he's a, he's a great interview and, and very, um, honest and open about his career and, um, you know, his background. He's kind of, it's kind of a fa- uh, fascinating story. Does like, he know that he's gorgeous? <laughs> he, he's very aware. Like, of, do you think he knows? Yes. I think he's aware of his physical attributes, his God-given like it's gifts. bizarre. Yes. He's tall. Like he when is, you like, see him in real life, it's like, is that art? It's kind of crazy. And he's, look, he's very open. He was born into privilege. He like, <sighs> I mean, how, how many people like came of age in the Cayman Islands? That's literally like where he spent like his teen years. So he owns that though. He talks about it and he gets it. But she even makes him cooler. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of his and, and I'm, I'm happy that we had this kind of conversation. Maybe it, it was just the length of the conversation that let me kind of like see uh, different sides of him. Um, and he, he, he's a great storyteller too, by the way. He's just like, there's, oh, he's there's, perfect. There's, there's some gems in this about, um, 
about his wedding and about uh, his dancing skills. There, his dancing skills are very evident in the new film, Call Me By Your Name. Um, and, and yes, we geek out yet again. I did this with uh, Jay Baruchel recently, and I, I sometimes feel guilty about bringing up this project, but I'm still so fascinated by it. Uh, you know, as film geeks know, Army was cast as Batman in the Justice League movie, not the one that just came out, but the one that was going to happen like 10 years ago, directed by George Miller. And Jay Baruchel had some amazing stories when he was on the podcast a couple months ago. Go back and check that out if you want. And Army was uh, was just as open and had some fantastic, um, fantastically interesting things to say about specific scenes from that film that we'll never see. But um, I think I and any like superhero and film fan is still fascinated by. So um, and and he's and he's also very honest about kind of the superhero thing about like where he stands with it because you know as we said he's he doesn't want to do it well he he get he you know he's often in the mix for these things i think like in, with the right opportunity he would do it mm-hmm. but you know i'll let him speak for himself about why he has more than mixed feelings about um putting on tights and a cape um, i feel day. all right about it i'll tell you that <laughs> sure you <laughs> yeah. do you gross i'm gross fine lady. with it hey <laughs> Um, so anyway, that's the conversation coming up with Army Hammer. Uh, go check out Call Me By Your Name. It's a it's a, a, a special little film, and uh, it's going to be around for a bit, I think, through the award season. But um, but go seek it out. Uh, and in the meanwhile, remember to review, rate, and subscribe. Review, rate, and subscribe. It's a tr- it's a trifecta, or you can do one of the three. You don't have to do yeah, all three. Yeah, but if you're there, you might as well do all three. If you're on iTunes, guys, how you're not going to go and just do one. Yeah, you can just like hit the five star. Not not to plant yeah. that in your head, but I mean, what else are you going to do? But also, right, you're it's all, you're not going on to. Well, I won't give anyone ideas. <laughs> Don't give yeah, ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. While you're there, write a couple nice words mm-hmm. about Sammy and me, yes, and me it too. It means a lot. It honestly, it does mean a lot to her. It's my fuel. <laughs> She needs this, guys. I need this. I'm saying this not for the I'm podcast. I'm now. I'm saying this for my own well-being. I, we need to keep her going. We please, need to keep her alive. Please. <laughs> That's please. all she has Our iTunes reviews. Value me. Oh, no. Um, anyway, please do that. <laughs> and enjoy this conversation with Army Hammer. It's good to see you, as always, man. Congratulations again on this one. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Good to see you, too. Um, I saw it again last night. It's a, Does it's that bother you, the hissing sound coming You know what? It's just going to be one of those things we're going to deal with, I think. Fair enough. Right? Fair enough. That, yeah, for those that can hear the hissing in the background, we are slowly being gassed to death. For those who can hear the hissing noise in the background, turn it down. You're <laughs> listening too loud. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, we've I come... Guess- you're yeah. listening too loudly. Loudly, you got to yeah. conjugate your adverbs. You're so good. You're so <laughs> smart. Um, we've come a long way since the set of Mirror Mirror. Good God. <laughs> yes. Happier times. I mean, that, look, that was a happy experience, hopefully. Was yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it was great to go to Montreal. Great to work with Tarsen. Yeah, it yeah. Was great. Those sets were cool. Was, there, was yeah. a lot, there was a lot to it. We'll, we'll, we'll circle around. Um, th- this film is, is obviously a special one. I, I saw it for the second time last night, and it's... Um, I don't think I've met somebody that it hasn't worked with. Not to like jinx yeah. you or this through this fun ride, but like yeah. it's just for whatever reason, um, it really just resonates. Great. Now you've just challenged one person to be like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it. Hmm. I, well, I want to meet that person. Actually, I don't want to meet yeah, that me person. Neither. That guy sounds like an asshole. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> How do you hate love? Come on, man. <laughs> what um, do you think that you could have done this one like five years ago? Is this something that like is no? Me- you know. It, 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 that's a great question. Uh, I think that this movie took every single bit of cumulative knowledge that I had because I've said it before that there, there's no distractions in this movie. There's no green screen. There's no special effects. There's no monsters. There's no 
there's no big set pieces. There's nothing to distract you from the fact that the only thing that propels this movie from scene to scene is the emotional life of these two people yeah. and how they connect and how that drives the story. And if at any point that didn't work or it fell flat, the movie wouldn't work. And that's a huge, daunting challenge and responsibility for an actor. You know, to think that yeah. if, if I have a moment of dishonesty on film, people will pick it up and realize it because the whole point of this is watching these two people progressively fall in love with each other. And, and I know one of the words that keeps coming up in the talking about the film, and you've probably used it yourself, is, is intimacy. It feels yep. like such an intimate film. Um, and it, I mean, that's one of those, th- those intangible things, though. That's the tough thing about a movie like this. It's like, if you're doing a comedy, you kind of get a sense, like, okay, that's a funny line. That yep. at least makes me laugh. And you also know in a comedy, if you say it, it's either funny or it's not. Right. You know, like right. with something like this, because you're playing this sort of like, unknown territory and you're playing with just human emotion it's all kind of all over the place uh but fortunately we had someone like luca helming the ship yeah what's uh on set is there a particular piece of wisdom or advice or whatever that luca gave you that kind of helped you steer in the right direction oh dude yeah i mean there wasn't there wasn't a single moment on set that didn't feel like Luca was in complete control mm. and that he knew exactly what he was going for and knew exactly what he needed. Um, but then there also was this amazing sense of freedom where he was just letting it live. Yeah. And, and you can feel that in the movie, that he just, he just lets moments live and he gives them their time to live in space. You know, like the, the best example of that is there's one scene where Oliver and Elio ride bikes past the camera and they continue to ride and right. they continue to ride and continue it to ride it holds for a bit yeah. if it was an American film they right. would have been like oh well, Get we, out of there. we need two minutes somewhere else so let's <laughs> cut that blah 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 but he's like no I want to give the audience time to realize that these two people are just in their own world yeah. and riding off together and it's like it's such a simple but beautiful moment and that's kind of part and parcel and a perfect example of how Luca directed the whole thing. Are there, is this a film that's like replete with moments where you feel like you're out on a limb, like you're kind of like you're, you're pushing yourself and you feel scared as an actor or do you feel once you're in it um, and the first couple days go by, you're like, okay, this feels right. And I'm, I'm, I'm acting in the right key for him. And this, me and Timothy have a thing or whatever. Yeah, both, both really. Uh, this movie was definitely something that, challenged and pushed me as you know a creative individual and sort of Luca pushed me and challenged me and 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 unrelentingly sort of made it about this honesty and this whole thing and so we did have to do things that you know I'd never done on film before or you know or that I was uncomfortable with but but it also simultaneously felt so safe because it was just like it was such an atmosphere of love and understanding and and openness and acceptance that anything that happened was okay right and that's beautiful you know and to be clear army's uh talking about dancing not any yeah 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 yeah, yeah, right 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 yeah yeah (laughs) just the dancing scene i hated that scene so much (laughs) so have you accepted your newfound fame as as a meme as uh this is this is a big moment for you man i'm i'm after this movie i'm quitting and i'm just going right to dancing with the stars that's it for me (laughs) yep i'm i have found my calling and i just want to dance josh that's it (laughs) there's a lot of you on the dance floor there's a lot (laughs) too much too much like it's 
Unless you are a professionally trained dancer, you really have no business being on a dance floor if you're 6'5 and over. Because <laughs> you're going to bump into somebody. You're going to throw a gangly arm over here and catch somebody in the back of the head or something. Did you need like a little liquid courage that day? Or what, what, what helps you through something you know, like that? that? That probably would have helped. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know any time when alcohol doesn't help <laughs> dancing. I, in fact, I can emphatically say that that is the only time in my life I have ever danced stone sober. Because <laughs> I've, I've never in any other time in my life been like, you know, I'm just sober. I'm, I'm feeling, feeling good. Yeah. Let's just go dance, guys. <laughs> did you dance at your own wedding? I did. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I was also not sober. <laughs> I was very not sober. <laughs> Yeah, I, we danced I, until like eight in the morning. At wow. the wedding. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I did only one dance at my wedding. I can't really? do it. I just can't do it. You did the dance. I did the and dance. Then no that more. Was it. Yeah. Oh man. Oh. <laughs> well, by the time the dance, there's not was enough over, alcohol in the world for me, Army, that can make me do that. Well, I can tell you this: my father-in-law is in the wine and spirit distribution business. So one of the wedding gifts that he gave us was a truckload. And I'm talking like, you know those massive U-Hauls, like the really big ones? <laughs> sure. They loaded it so full of alcohol for our wedding that my two brothers-in-law, John and Joseph, who had to drive it out to California from Colorado, had to drive around the state of Utah because it was too much <laughs> alcohol to bring into the state of Utah. That's how much alcohol we had at our wedding. So I wow. guarantee you there was enough water. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about the karaoke? Does it take much to get you on in a karaoke bar? Uh, short of a nuclear blast, there's not much that would get me to a karaoke bar. I think the last time I went to a karaoke bar was actually in Japan. Well, yeah. And I was like, this still isn't any better. This doesn't I feel still right. Hate this, this doesn't feel right. Because the thing about karaoke for me is like, you've always got that one friend or one person who's yeah, like, who's a let's ringer. go to karaoke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you go and you're like, of course you wanted to come. You're fucking good. <laughs> like, look off. at you. Like, yeah. yeah, we get it. You can sing. Okay, sit down and shut up. Now you're just making us all feel bad. Yeah. It's like playing like a shirts and skins game with you. Like, I don't want to play with you. I get it. You have a good body <laughs> army. Congrats. You don't know what's under here. It's ugly. It's <laughs> no, I, ugly. I saw the movie. Yeah. I, I can see it. Yeah, I feel like half the movie, you guys are just like shirtless. Yep. Lot, not much spent on wardrobe. No, not much spent on wardrobe. And, uh, and I don't think I've ever seen shorter shorts in my entire <laughs> life. But there is, I mean, in, in relative seriousness, I mean, you have to like feel super comfortable with, you know, the more kind of again, tease the word, intimate moments. Like, I mean, you, Timothy's like grabbing your crotch. Like, mm. that's not day one of a shoot normally. Right, yeah. And, that, and you have to, like, get to that point where you feel like... Yeah. I mean, I grab my crotch pretty much all the time. The, so my crotch is pretty much used to it. You're kind of the Michael Jackson totally. of uh, 2017. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know where to go from there. Um, okay, let's circle back around. Okay, yeah. so... Um, because obviously, back to my crotch or... Yeah, back to your crotch. Okay. Um, tell me about your crotch. No, um, about uh, career-wise. So, like... When we started talking, like you started talking to most people in my biz, was around obviously social network. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, I mean, you have two kids now, you, you, you got married around the time of social network. Yep. So, like, do you feel like that guy is a totally alien creature to the army that's sitting with me today, or? Uh, you know, yes and no would be the easy answer for that, you know, because I think the whole, well, it's not necessarily that I think, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the whole point of, of life is, you know, your evolution as a person. You yeah. know, no one stays the same at 23, 24 as they are when they're 53, 54. You know, you've, you've lived and you've learned and you've grown and hopefully anyway, you know, um, and especially as an actor, I get to work on all these different projects and each one of them I get to focus on something new, something totally different. Yeah. And I get to challenge my perspective in a fun, interesting new way every time. So hopefully I'm a very different person than I was. And I mean, I'm still essentially the same person. I'm me. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm happy with me. 
but I'm still always convinced that me has room to grow. Does I, I don't have kids. Did, did having kids kind of automatically mature you a oh, bit? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's beyond the fact that, you know, it, it definitely changes your sleep patterns and it changes, like, all those things. You now have, like, a life that you're responsible for. Yeah. Um, a life that is completely dependent on you. Uh, and that's huge, you know? So... Did you need some maturing? Did you feel like, were you kind of like, you seem like a relatively... I still need maturing, dude. Uh, For sure. (laughs) Ask my wife. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but at the same time, like, I'm youthfully enthusiastic about life. uh, And I think that's a good quality. But at the same time, you know, I think everybody can grow and mature in some way. Do you think that, um, you know, in the... The successes and failures that have come, you know, since social network, and you could, that there's a, you know, what what constitutes a success, what constitutes a failure. That's a, sure. another conversation. But seeing the films that do or don't resonate with audiences, whether it's box office or commercially or in your own heart, whatever, does that make this process a little different in terms of like? I guess my question is, at what point do you trust your instincts that this movie worked? Like, does, are you like still waiting for like the actual public to take it in, and, or are you kind of pessimistic or optimistic, having gone through the process a bit now? Uh, I would say I'm sort of like realistic about it, right. you know, because I've 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 been in the situation before where people have gone, "This is gonna be huge!" Right. Like, "Oh, this is gonna be great!" Blah 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 blah, and then it just doesn't work. Yeah, and that's fine. Like. For, for me, as an actor and as a performer in, in a movie, my job is really done the last time the director says, cut. Right. On the last day when he says, cut, that's a wrap. I'm done. Like, my job is, so now he's going to go edit it. He's going to go do his whole thing. And then eventually they're going to call me again to do, like, a whole song and dance sure. and sort of get out there and be like, oh, everybody should go see this movie, blah, 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 blah. But I can't change anything that happened in the experience. Right. All of those experiences, especially the ones that had more expectations on them or right. more, you know, uh, more pressure on them, those made this experience feel all the more valuable. Yeah. Because I did this because I believed in the story and I believed in the script and I wanted to work with Luca Guadagnino and my experience was one of the most rewarding I've ever had while working on a film. Yeah. So, so does this tr- teach you to trust your gut all the more going forward? Or what's the lesson learned of, like, career-wise, is there a lesson to be learned from something like this? I think, yeah, but th- the thing for me is, like, I don't even really think about it in terms of, like, my career as sort well, of like a holistic whole. Sure. I think of it as, like, experience to experience. Right. So I trusted my gut on this one, and it paid off. Yeah. I've also trusted my gut on other ones where halfway through shooting, I just look at myself and I go... Why the fuck are you here? This is terrible. I, you are not enjoying this. You're not having fun. But this was one of those experiences. But it also was an experience that showed me that all of the conversations that I had as a young actor with you know, acting teachers or other acting students in class and all that of you know, the times where they sit around and go, you, know, you will do a movie that makes you grow as an artist and challenges your perspective and forces you to mature, like all that stuff. It's not all bullshit. It actually it's not all happen. bullshit. You can do that. And I did it. And now I'm like, I want to do that more. You know? Yeah. When have, you been, when have you been most shocked by, like, how a film turned out? And you can take that any way you want in terms of, like, the actual product or how it was received or, or what. Is there one that stands out to you that sort of... I'll keep it on the positive side okay. for this one uh, and just say that this one, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I never even considered how this film would turn out the entire time we were shooting. I never thought about who's going to see it, who's going to be interested, how's it going to do, how's it going to perform, is it going to be a box office success? Right. None of those questions ever entered my mind. So now, 
everything that's happening is sort of just like, whoa. It's, it's kind of the fact that it's resonating with people so much validates how much it resonated with me in the process of making it. Totally. Yeah. So uh, since we have some time, let's, let's go back to a little bit, uh, even further back. Sure. Um, I think you're the first guest on the podcast that um, came of age at the Cayman Islands. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. What, what, I mean, what, you know, like all I know of that, of that environment is, you know, references in the firm. Sure. Uh, so like, what is, is that a fun place to kind of like come of age? And like, what do you, is yeah, that man. like what you consider like the most important years of your life were spent at least formatively? Yeah, man. I mean, de- definitely like my, my formative young years that I remember, you know, I lived in Dallas before that and I lived in LA before that, but I don't really remember LA and I remember Dallas, but like, all, like if someone says you know your childhood, my mind immediately goes back to yeah. palm trees and tropical paradise. You know, I, I had a machete that I sharpened all the time. I mean, you could cut paper with it, right. and I would come home from school, throw down my backpack, grab my machete, jump on my dirt bike, and just ride around and go see friends, go do whatever. If I got hungry, I'd cut down a papaya or climb a coconut tree, get a coconut down, and then just like go fishing, go swimming. In the morning before school, I'd swim with sea turtles and feed them by hand. It was just like. Is bizarre. It's just a bizarre way to grow up. And for people that, that can't see Army here, which is only just me, he actually came. He's in a loincloth right now with a yes. machete, which yes, is true. like so old this, habits die hard. Yeah. They, they, they said I was going to the jungle. I didn't realize it was the concrete <laughs> jungle. I feel like I got sold a false bill of goods. So how do you announce you're going to be an actor? Like what, what's what's the what's the what's the big conversation in the Hammer? Household, because I know it didn't go go down so well. Well, I just basically said I want to be an actor, and they just started laughing at me. <laughs> and I was like, "No, really." And I was living in the Caymans at the time, and they were like, "What do you mean? You want to do like island theater? Like, what are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah, what's the theatrical scene in the Cayman Islands? There, uh, I don't know what it is now because I haven't been in several years. But there was one movie theater that had two screens. <laughs> And that was it. It's uh, multiplex. That constitutes a multiplex. It, it is a multiplex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, funny story: when Titanic came out, while I was living down in the Caymans. And um, it was such a huge, like, smash success. I mean, it, I think it was, like, one of the first movies to make a billion dollars yeah. or something yeah, yeah, like that. Totally. Um, but they were making so much money off of it that the people who owned the theater were like, well, shit, let's just put it on both screens. So for months, Titanic, <laughs> was, the Titanic was the residency. only movie playing in the Cayman Islands. But I also loved going to the movies so much that I wasn't going to stop going to the movies. Sure. I probably watched Titanic in theaters five or six times because <laughs> it was the only thing. Um, so how much attention was there in the household like around the time where like you were starting to commit yourself or wanted to commit yourself and they obviously it wasn't necessarily what a lot of parents don't necessarily want their kids to go and do something that's so dicey a profession you know sure. it's, it's a crazy idea but it's like that uh, that great expression of you know you don't find reasonable men at the tops of tall mountains like you don't <laughs> right. find reasonable people who go no i want no job security and i don't want health benefits and i want you know i want rejection and i want to be judged and you know the whole thing totally it's tough and you know if my kids came to me and said they wanted to do it i I would try to be as supportive of what they wanted, but like my heart would break for them a little bit, knowing what they have to go through in this business. It's, sure. not, it's not an easy thing to get into, and that's almost a good thing because it weeds out the people who truly aren't passionate about it. Like anyone who wants to go yeah. into it just because they want to be famous or just because they want to blah, 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 or they want the attention or they want the lifestyle that they think it brings, yeah. which it really doesn't, but like they want that lifestyle. Sure you know they're going to burn out. They're not going to be able to take it because it's fucking rough, you know? So was it your form of rebellion? Because, you know, from the outside looking in, like, you know, and you've been very open, obviously. You led a life of privilege. You know, you came from from wealth. And, you know, you obviously have been gifted with some some great assets. Um, But, like, is that a way to kind of, like, you know... 
counter the system or break through in, a, in some way? Yeah, yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm, I haven't really kind of thought about it in that sense, but I'm sure that's part of it, you know, because part of me doing it involved dropping out of high school and telling yeah. everyone that I'm going to go take control of my own life and do what I want to do, you know. Uh, I think for someone who grew up in my situation, there's a lot of expectation and right. a lot of pressure. And, you know, I mean, now looking back, it just sounds so ridiculous to think about. But, like, I remember being told every day, like, when you go outside, you represent the family. You are a hammer. And you are going to go to college, and then you're going to go get your MBA at Columbia because there's an, there's an Art and Hammer building there and blah, 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 right. blah, blah. So it's like if you let it, all of those things can dictate what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And right. it's truly a powerless proposition where you're just like, I have no control. I just have to do this thing right. because everyone else in my family has done this thing. And it sounds like it'll make me miserable. So are they miserable also? Like, I don't get it. Like, why would you do that? So yeah, I'm sure it was like a big form of rebellion of me being like, I don't want to be told what to do. Like, I want to yeah. make my own decisions. I want to be my own man. Uh, and that's kind of tough because... It's. It probably would have been a lot easier to just go with the system. And sure. Like now, now, speaking of job security, now I got it. Yeah. I know what I'm going to do. Like this is great. I don't have to worry about cash ever again. Like, as opposed to being an actor, where you're like, oh boy, now, oh man, oh gee, you know the whole thing. So, and, and in those those first years before we all got to know you on the social network, yeah. were you making a living? Like, at what, what point was like were you consistently working? Not. I was doing like like. TV jobs right. here and there, uh, not enough to like really make a living. Yeah. And you know, uh, to my parents' credit, even though they weren't happy with what I was doing, they weren't going to let me starve to death. Right. You know, so they helped you through a little bit at least. Yeah, yeah. they they definitely helped me through. Um, and I'm re- I feel really fortunate to have had that. You know, I mean, it, it's it was like a wonderful opportunity for me to really pursue something. And I know that not everybody gets that. And I know that, that like financial reasons can be a huge reason why some people don't follow their dreams, you know, and I, I was allowed to follow my dreams, you know, I mean, it wasn't easy and it definitely wasn't something where, you know, I was like, I don't have to worry about this. Like it was always something that I was aware of. And I also, I didn't like, it embarrassed the fuck out of me every time I had to go to them and be like, I, I, need, I need help, and yeah. I'm going to pay you back. Like, you know, this whole... Because I didn't want to have to do that. I wanted to be my own man. Of course. You know, and I, I... It's always tough when you have to go to somebody, especially your parents, who told you that this isn't the right thing to do, and then you have to go back and ask them for help. It's a, it's a, it's a big slice of humble pie to have to eat, you know? Were, were there... I mean, ironically, your big break, for, for those that do or don't know, was a film that we never saw. It was, essentially was the Justice League film. Yeah. Getting that, I know, helped get you other jobs. For sure, for sure. Well, even before that, I want to come to that in a second, but even before that, were there close calls on other gigs that you thought were going to change your life that just didn't come to fruition? Because it's such a giant leap to go from virtually nowhere to being Batman in a George Miller yeah. film. Uh, that was like when I was 19, so I'd really only been doing it aggressively for like a year Got or it. something like that. So there, there, I mean, there was like tiny roles in little independent films that nobody would ever see again. Right. Uh, and maybe nobody ever saw in the first place. Uh, so there was, there was, there was enough to keep me hooked. Got it. But there was not enough to actually make it survive on, like not at all. Uh, and then justice league happened. So what's the moment getting that part? 
that was crazy. Was, I mean, I can only yeah. imagine for for Ben Affleck getting it. It's a huge part, and he's right. and he's won Oscars. And he's Ben Affleck. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you were frankly a nobody at the time. Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I was just a kid with a goofy name. Um, it. I, I like. I can specifically remember getting the phone call and then being like, "You got the part in the movie," and I. Because we didn't know what part we were going in for. Like, oh, really? they didn't They didn't say, you're going in for a Batman. You're blah, 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 blah. It was nothing. Like, literally nothing like right. that. Um, they didn't even give us scenes from the movie. I had to do... My audition scene was uh, that Ned Beatty monologue from Network. Right. Where he's like, you have meddled with the primal forces right. of nature, Mr. Beale. <laughs> like, that. I had to give that monologue, which is an Academy Award winning monologue. Right. Uh, so... So I remember working my ass off on that and going in, doing it, and then getting the call and then being like, you're going to play Batman in this movie. And I was just like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it was just, it was just the craziest thing. Were you going to do the Batman growl? Were you going to do the... No, 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 no. It, it, it was a totally different... <laughs> there, it, was, it was darker and it was... You know, it's funny. It it was it was pre Christian Bale, but the Christian Bale Batman had a lot more in common with it than any of the previous ones. Oh, really? Like whether it be the George Clooney, the Michael Keaton, you know, the, yeah. all those, which were almost campy. Right. This one was about a guy who is severely psychologically almost deranged. Right. You know, I mean, it 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 was dark and it was really intense, and this guy had major trust issue you know the whole thing and it was it was really it was a it was a great concept and it was a really cool idea i know it must feel weird to keep talking about something like this that never came to fruition but it's one of those projects and it's like i i think i told you recently i, I got a chance to catch up with jay baruchel yeah, told yeah, me yeah some amazing stories on yeah. and off the set that you guys clearly had a good time in australia we had the best time yeah. um love that guy yeah he's, he's a character in itself he, he here's my one last question i don't know if something will come to mind he gave me a couple scenes that jumped out at him mm-hmm. that were like he told me like the introduction of wonder woman where she like yeah. beheads like a minotaur oh yeah, like, yeah was yeah. there like a scene that you, to your dying day, will wish that you had seen realized on the big screen that still jumps out at you from that script? Superman and Wonder Woman have, or had, the most brutal fight with each other that you've ever seen. And I mean, it would be like when two superheroes actually fight. Like, they destroy multiple cities, like, by accident, because they're just (laughs) like, they don't even see anything else other than, like, trying to destroy the person in front of them. And it was incredible. I mean, at one point, they destroy an aircraft carrier by accident. It was... uh, And then also, the the death count was going to be extremely high, because (laughs) Jay Baruchel... Did he tell you about his character? Yeah. Okay, so he plays this guy, Maxwell Maxwell Lord, Lord, yeah. yeah, who... Had, like one of the things that he has is like a fast food chain and he which is everywhere like imagine if it would be like McDonald's right. or something but inside of all the food that he's been preparing for people he's putting like nanobots and this is back when no one knew about nanobots right. like this wasn't anything that we talked about sure and so everyone's consuming this food like an addiction because he's putting like shit in it to make people addicted to it too and then they're consuming these nanobots and then at one point like he pushes a button that's like activate and these nanobots literally, like, kill almost every person that has eaten his food and turn them into these, like... There's a commentary cyber- there for the, like, uh, the masses that are eating shitty fast food. By the way, I don't <laughs> doubt that that was an intentional commentary about it. But, uh, and then all of a sudden you have to fight these, like, 
nanobot humans that are like now programmed to be like kill all these guys. Like, and it was just it was, it Amazing. was a, it was yeah. Let's see what else, what else stands out. <laughs> oh, they also had Martian Manhunter in it, who was played by Hugh Keysburn, who was the oh, toe yeah, cutter yes. in the first one, who then all played Immortal Joe. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Amazing. And he was amazing and uh, a little bit like a Martian himself in all the best ways. Like, I love that guy. He's incredible. But um, So where are you at right now with the whole superhero thing, which always will come up and always has come up? And I know, like, you know, early on, you, you seemed open to it post, like, social network. And, yep. like, it, it, you know, it's an honor to be in those kind of conversations. Do you f- still feel that way or do you feel like I'm good? It's working without that whole thing or, or what? Yeah. Man, it's just trying to answer in a way that's not going to get me in any trouble. Um, Wait, have you signed on to something you can't talk about? Is that what's no, happening? No, <laughs> okay. no, okay. Uh, because <laughs> all right, fuck it. Let's might as well go for it. Um, are you shaking your head? <laughs> I haven't seen a superhero movie in a long time where I thought fuck, I wish I was in that. Right. You know? So, for me, there's not, like, a huge rush. You don't feel you're missing out. If the, you're seeing I really on... don't. I mean, would I love to own a huge house? <laughs> yes. For sure. But at the end of the day, like, I'm more interested now in my artistic credibility and doing the projects that satiate me as an artist and make me feel like I'm doing what I love. Because I tried doing the big movies, you right. know, I tried doing that, and and there was like almost like an effort to get me to do these things, and it just didn't work. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, I didn't feel like I was any better for it right. than when I started. Whereas, you know, these passion projects that you do, you sign on because you truly believe in it, and then you devote every single thing to it, and you're out there, and you're like in the trenches. This movie we shot for nothing, like it literally at. Almost yeah. every turn. You're not sitting in your trailer for half the time. Dude, you're working. You're... Everyone has to carry yeah. gear on these movies. Yeah. You know, like it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and that feels like it's like soul quenching in no, a way that like yeah. being a tiny cog in a massive machine wouldn't be. Right. Well, as someone that just came, I'll say it because you can't. I just came literally for this morning. I want to catch up on Justice League just to see it. I don't think you're missing out, Army. You're doing good. I'm telling you, dude. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah. I think, I mean, look, if, if a great director came around and was like, look, I have, no, I have it's this like, idea. If George Miller wants to do a superhero movie, we, you dude, do. If George Miller wants to do anything, I would do it the for genius. sure. But yeah. at the end of the day, like, no one's asked, and I'm not going out of my way to do it. Yeah. Um, so social network, um, which obviously made your career in, in a tangible sense after after the the would be Justice League movie. Right. Um, I mean, is the learning curve on that like huge though? Because it's not only like a high profile movie. It's Sorkin dialogue. It's Fincher, who's just obviously the most notorious of idiosyncratic in a very interesting way. Filmmakers, put, put it nicely. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you feel like out of your element, or did you feel like you were ready for that? I mean, you obviously the proof is in the pudding. You delivered, but like, was there a bit of a a learning curve of the first days in that one. Yeah, I mean, it was intense. It was intense. Uh, but it would be like, I always say, like, Social Network was like running a marathon, and it feels like almost every movie since then has been like a 10K. So after you run a marathon, a right. 10K doesn't seem like it's that hard, right? right. Um, and also, to be honest, I had two amazing crutches in that movie. I had David Fincher directing and Aaron yeah. Sorkin dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. So. That di- like it's almost hard to deliver Aaron Sorkin dialogue poorly. Right, like you really have to try to fuck it up. <laughs> was um, 
Was Fincher, I mean, is Fincher, I wouldn't, I mean, I've never been on his set. I've talked mm. to him. I know what he's like. I've heard a thousand stories, and I respect the hell out of him. He's a yep. genius. Is he a nurturing filmmaker, though? He seems to be the kind of guy that's like, you either deliver oh, not or not. Oh, not on set. Yeah. Not, oh, absolutely like, not. No, no, no. No, no. And he doesn't want to sit around and talk about your character. Right. He doesn't want to sit around and He hired and, like, you to do a job to do it. Th- and he'll tell you that to your face. He'll go, I don't want to talk to you about this. <laughs> I have hired you because I think you're the best person to do this right, job. Right. So don't prove me wrong and do your job. You go, okay. Hey, it's a vote of confidence. And, and then, also, and then when you're on set shit, and mean, you're doing you know, <laughs> 60, 70 takes of one camera setup, He'll just go, cut, do it again. Cut, do it again. Right. Cut, do it again. Cut, do it again. You go, do you want anything different? He'll go, do it again. Go, well, do you want me to do it again? Uh, oh, okay. That's fascinating. Yeah. It's amazing. Did you, did you spend much time with, not to like go towards a lightning rod, but did Kevin Spacey, was he involved much in that production? Did I didn't. You know? I, no. I, I'll be perfectly honest. I didn't even know he was a producer on the film until <laughs> the rap party. <laughs> and I was like, what's Kevin Spacey doing here? And they're like, oh, he's the producer of the movie. He's one of the producers. And I was like, <laughs> really? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So coming out of that, did you feel uh, emboldened or paralyzed by the kind of like expectation and success of that one? Did you feel like this is the beginning of the rest of my life and here come opportunities or shit like I now need to like follow up a David Fincher? Neither. I think I was young and dumb and I just had no idea. That and I was like, you oh, well, that cool. well. <laughs> I think I went through the social network press tour like like a golden retriever puppy where I was just like, where are we going now? Okay, cool. Oh, now we're going to get on a plane and fly somewhere? Cool. Like, a private plane? Whoa, even better, you know? Um, and was J. Edgar, like, one of the first things you did after? Yeah, it was immediately after, yeah. It's so funny to think, like, again, talking about Fincher's style, like, you can't go from a, diff- a more different kind of a filmmaker, it would seem. Dude. Quint does one or two takes, max, right? It, I mean, it, it, I've never experienced that kind of, you know, shock before like you know coming from a david fincher film where i know for a fact there are scenes that we did more than a hundred takes of just one camera angle and then they have to move the camera and then you start all over again i I could tell you for a fact uh my first day on j edgar i show up on set and they go uh i still have not met clint so they go, okay, they're, they're ready for you. And I was like, oh, uh, uh, okay. okay. So, so and they go, okay, go get, get hair and makeup, go do the whole thing, and go to your trailer, and we'll come get you when they're ready. Yeah. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Um, so I go through the works. I go to my trailer. I'm there. I'm like, I'm, I'm psyching myself up. I'm going over my lines. I'm thinking about the scenes. You know, I'm really kind of doing my actor thing. And then someone comes over and goes, knock, knock, knock. And they go, they're ready for you. And I go, okay, great. So I, I go to set, and I walk into set, and we're shooting in a movie theater. And, uh, and they walk me up, and it's... Clint, or I'm sorry, it's Leo DiCaprio, Clint Eastwood, and Dame Judi Dench sitting in a movie theater, like in a row next to each other. And the guy goes, that's your seat. And he points to the seat that Clint's in. So I was like, okay. Is someone else going to tell him to move? Yeah, because it's not going to be me. I'll tell you that for a fact. So then I kind of just like stand there. And like they're having like a conversation. And then I like keep standing there. And then I keep standing there. And I keep standing there. And then finally Clint looks up and he goes, Oh, you must be Army. All right, come on, let's do this. And, and so, so I get up, and I now sit in the seat that he was in. And we still, that's the most that we've spoken. Right. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah so, yes, sir, sure. So I sit down on the thing, and then he sits, like, in a chair kind of a little bit removed from us while the camera's looking at us on the thing. And he goes, you know, so in this scene, you're, you're watching the movie, and uh, it's on the screen. It's, it's a good movie. You like the movie. Uh, you're, pr- you're proud of it. Maybe you even look at each other and have a moment where, you know, you feel proud of the movie. Right. And so we're talking, and I go, do you mean something like this? And I look at Leo, and he looks at me, and he goes, yep, just like that. All right, moving on. 
And I, and I go, wait, 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 what? He goes, yep, we got it. Wait, and that it was, what? like, the camera was rolling. Like, that was our take. There was no rehearsal. That's there was no, crazy. that was it. And I literally just, like, sat in the chair and, like, my palms started sweating. And I was like, what is going on around here? Because Social Network was really my only experience. Yeah, I mean, we did, like, some, we did some stuff for Justice League and camera tests and all that, like, and some scenes we did. But, like, I don't know where those are. Uh, <laughs> someone's got to have those. But, but, but that was the first... I'm sorry, that was the only other actual film yeah. I'd ever been in. So I had no frame of reference, and that just continued through the rest of the time. Like, it was just that fast. Is it valuable for you at this point now to, like, know how the director is going to shoot, whether it's that ex- polarizing extreme of Fincher or Clint before yes. you step on set? Is yes. that something you make a point of knowing? Uh, you, well, I mean, sometimes you can't get that information beforehand because right. sometimes they don't know. Sometimes, you know, whatever. But you can um, talk to people that have worked with them and yeah, you can like, yeah, for sure. around a little bit. For, I mean, you, if I was diligent enough to do that, then <laughs> I probably could. But, but also that's a big part of what we do as actors is like I have my routine and I have what I know works for me and my process and what I need like I know that I need to do a lot of research I know that I need to have my lines so completely memorized that I don't think about them for a second because if I spend a minute thinking about my lines in the scene then I'm I'm already sucked out of it so I know these things about my process and that's like the challenge of an actor is figuring out how to make your process work with the director's process because every director has a different process. Right. So you can't just come in and like force your way into like, well, no, I need this. I, you have to learn how to make your shit work with their shit. Yeah. <coughs> Do you – are you the kind of like uh, – is there, is there a filmmaker you're curious about their process and sort of seeing like if I could work in that environment or how, how as you said, your style would kind of mesh with theirs? Yeah, you know, I mean, there there are some directors that do everything extremely fast and loose and, like, all handheld camera, yeah. you know, like, uh, so, I, like, Cronus shoots that way. I, it's, I don't know, there's, like, there are dudes where you're like, I don't know how that would work for me, and, and it seems and like kind of a fun challenge, yeah. yeah. And what's, like, Wheatley like, for instance, Ben Wheatley? Is that <sighs> he's a- amazing, dude. He's He's fantastic. And his process exists entirely to service the edit. You know, he has a full edit bay built on set when he's shooting. Because he wants to see it coming together as it goes. Yeah, because this is like his background. He he knows how to edit, and he's editing in real time. So there's a feed coming directly from the camera right to his edit station. And so as this footage is coming in, he's going... And it's like, he's not going, okay, let me cut this and paste (laughs) this here. No, let me move that a few frames. He's literally not looking at the keyboard, which is not a normal keyboard. It's got like all these symbols on it. And he's just like... So by the end of the day, he's got everything from that day cut together. And on the end of the last day, he's got an assembly of the film. So he can watch it and go, I need one shot of someone's hand grabbing this gun because we didn't see that. And also I need this to establish the camera direction and I need this. So it's really efficient filmmaking. Do you feel at this point, I mean, I've talked to a lot of actors who like, I mean, and it can be an actor that's been working for 40 years that has a bunch of Oscars uh, to their credit, and they still feel like they're at risk of being fired on every project. Are you that kind of an actor, or are you the kind of actor that, like, you're secure, and I don't mean this as a negative thing, but you're secure enough where you are now that you you deserve a place at the table, and you're, and you're going to... No, I don't, I don't feel that I deserve a place at the table, but, like... At the end of the day, you can't go in there worried about getting fired because that's the end of the day. If like if they're going to reinforce, the if they're going to fire you, they're going to fire you. Like I mean, I've, I've been fired. You've been like, fired? Yeah, I mean, it happens. But like, if, if they're going to fire you, they're going to fire you. But at the end of the day, like you have to also just focus on what you're doing. Yeah. And if they're not happy with it, then 
you know, there's nothing you can really control about it. Do you feel like when you look back in, in like these kind of conversations or whenever you have an opportunity to think about what you've been able to do the last few years, like you've been in a disproportionate amount of movies that have had a lot of drama around it? Do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, what the hell? I was thinking about that when I was like looking at like the, the films, like whether it's Lone Ranger, I mean, Man from Uncle, I wouldn't say is super dramatic, but it has a lot of narratives around it. Yeah. Um, Birth of a Nation obviously had a lot going on. That was slightly dramatic, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm curious on that one, and this is something that keeps coming up more and more nowadays, and I'm wrestling with it myself. Where do you come down on, like, separating the art from the artist kind of a thing? Do you think about that in terms of, like... We didn't... Like, no one really knew. There was... Uh, that was... Right, that all came out. The yeah, next stuff that came was, out after. No one really knew that passed too well. I don't know, man. Like, for me... Like, if Polanski wants to work with you, what do you say? You know, it's it's funny, man, because part of me as an artist would say there's not a lot of artists in history who don't have something right. fucked up about them. Right. You know, I mean, you don't find reasonable men at the tops of tall mountains right. and sane people don't decide to become artists because it's a weird job um, yeah. with no job security and, you know, whatever. But... It's the idealist in me would like to think, you know, okay, I'm not working with Polanski, as you, to use your example, the person. I'm working with him as an artist, and this is a new thing that he's doing, and I think that he is a talented artist or yeah. whatever. But at the end of the day, like, as a human and as, you know, someone who's trying to live a virtuous life, you kind of go... Is it worth it? Right. Like, you know there's just going to be drama. You know it's going to be an issue. And you know that it's going to be something that can overshadow what you're actually trying to do. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. It's, it's, a, it's, not, a, an easy, it's not an easy question because, I mean, again... It's like, full just, of gray. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, I grew up... I mean, Woody Allen, you know, was my spirit animal, as you can imagine, stereotypically. Yeah. And it's like, what do you do with that? Mel Gibson. I grew up with Mel Gibson films. It's, and it's all just like, yeah. I don't know if I can throw all of that out, but I, I hear everything you're saying. It's a tough one. I don't know. Yeah, the thing about, yeah, yeah. It, it's like, I don't, yeah, you, yeah. You just, uh, I think, wrapped on a on a, a film that I'm very intrigued by, mm. the uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg film, yeah, right? On the basis of sex, yeah, yeah with a Felicity who's lo- who's lovely and so amazing. talented, yeah, amazing. She's incredible. What can you tell me about uh, making that one with Mimi Leader, who's a, a great filmmaker in her own right? She's great, yeah, um, uh, yeah. It, it was an amazing project, and it, it's 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 such a fascinating thing to get to to get to really go back in time when the gender landscape in this country was vastly different, right. when women couldn't rent a car unless their husband was there with them. And I don't even know what, maybe it's because they were afraid their wives were going to run away from the shitty home lives that they had. I don't know. But, like, this is a woman who, just by her own sheer determination and will, changed the landscape of gender law in this yeah. country. Uh, and she is an exceptionally smart human being who i mean ruth bader ginsburg sleeps three hours a night because she's too busy reading like i mean she doesn't own a television and she only listens to opera like she's like that kind of intellect you know so and felicity jones did such an amazing job sort of bringing that to life 
That's awesome. I can't yeah. wait for that one, man. Do you have a little time off? I know you're going to be helping spread the good word on this one for a bit. So do you know what you're doing next? No, dude. They've, I'm on the call me by your name train. <laughs> like I'm just like I'm going back to LA at five in the morning to go back to more, and then I got to go to Santa Barbara, then I'm back to blah blah blah. blah just you know, nonstop so. talking about dancing and peaches and that's it. That's it. <laughs> all the important stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, the finer things in life. Exactly. No, but in all seriousness, you know I'm a fan of this one, and it's it's a it's a worthy project to spend some time talking about and to to urge people to to get out and see. And you know I feel confident in recommending it to anybody because. Because it just, as we said at the outset, it works for everyone. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. feel really proud, man. Good to see you as always. Nice to see you, Josh. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Tom. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) 